Too much, too much. Too much, too much. I need it to just be right where I want it. <laughs> right there. All right. Stay put now. Oh, but then I look up and then it goes away. Ah, ooh, ah, there we go. Well, since uh, survey says you're better at the introduction and the conclusion and the funniness and, and the reading of questions, the reading of questions. It sounds like... Uh, Basically, it sounds like you're just my sidekick. And... <laughs> and I'm better at shocking you. <laughs> okay, so this week on uh, Cat the Dog Trainers, you ask, we answer. <laughs> with my assistant, the guy with the pink gun. Assistant to the assistant, probably more realistically. Assistant to Quest. Cuddled over there. We were going to answer as many questions as we can. We got another... Huge number of questions and some really, really good ones that since I'm in charge of asking and um, reading all of them, I'm going to try and get through as many as I can. If this is your first time to the channel, guys, hit the subscribe button so that you don't, uh, well, if it's your first time to the channel, welcome to the channel and uh, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything that uh, comes out in the future. Okay. We're going to get started right away with a very good question from D Burgett 11 underscore 24 from Instagram. Why don't you all do anything with NADKC or NAVDA? Do you want this one or do you want me to take it? Go ahead, sir. Thank you. First of all, we do uh, quite a bit with NAVDA, the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. Um, so that one is there. So maybe there was misunderstanding. A little misunderstanding. Because we've talked about that before in some other stuff. That was, etc. Go ahead and finish the question. Thank you. The, um, NADKC though is a, is a really good question. And I think it's probably one that can be touched on from a pretty common misconception. Um, but NADKC is the North American Deutsch Kurzhaar Club. Is it C? Yeah. Yeah. Club. So you're talking about uh, DKs, which are not the same as American bred German shorthairs. So that is one that we like to draw the conclusion to. They they definitely breed for different things. They have different goals. They have different designed. And different registries. Different registries. It's a whole different program. And um, it, it DKs are as much a different breed as looking at a short hair and a wire hair, in my opinion. Yes. And I think that... Or a short hair and a a setter. I mean, they look similar. They are different dogs, bred for different things. Yes. And they look similar. And that's where I think people get confused and they kind of sound the same because Deutsch Kuzar... And people often describe them as, oh, they're just German 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 short short hairs. hairs. No, they're not. They're DKs. And they have different temperaments and personalities. So definitely, if you're thinking about getting one, make sure that they are the right breed for you, and you don't think you're just getting a short hair. Yeah, and not to, and this is not a, this is not saying that there's anything wrong with them or that they're bad or anything else. They're just different. So I would say that typically, what you're going to see is a stronger, um, typically a little bit stronger prey drive, and that even geared a little more towards fur. Those are going to be the the biggest differences, I think, with... And then that level of drive and desire to go out, catch and kill some furred creature, which could potentially be 
another of your smaller pets, like another cat or a smaller dog, you have to watch for that. Or a kitty. Did I say that? No, you said pet or a smaller dog. I meant cat. Whatever. Meow. And that also can overlay that strong determination and desire to also just being a little bit more persistent of a personality that needs a little more handling when it comes to sure. obedience. So. so good dogs, just different. Know what you're getting into. Yes. Next question from Red Hub One. Red Hub One on Instagram. My GSP is four months old and has an annoying behavior. He whines about everything. If the other dog is in our house and runs away from him, he whines. If I walk away, he whines. If he wants to come in the house, he whines. I try not to give him anything, including attention when he whines, but he won't stop the behavior. Help, please. This is a good question. Um, And it sounds like your puppy is ready for a challenge. He's four months old. Typically for our development process with our puppies, that means that they are becoming much more bold and confident and they just need more, whether that's training or exercise, mental stimulation, all of the above. And they might just be bored and trying to find a way for you to interact with them and for them to not be left out of the situation because they want to do something else. Yeah, that... um that need for mental advancement is often something that's seen. We try and use real world examples with it uh, with as many situations as possible because I think it helps better connect to the dog and um, it may be something that people are more familiar with. And I think that it's often um, the same with children. When you look at children that fall into that higher tier of intelligence level or development, if they're not challenged, that that intelligence and everything else can be misdirected. So you have a little kid that's in first grade or second grade or something. That's typically that elementary age is when you see a lot of these kind of things. Um, kids acting out and wants attention or whatever and isn't being challenged. So his brain is allowed to wander to different things, his, her, allowed to wander to different things. Now, one specific example, and this one is to tease Kat a little bit. So when she was a little girl. Oh, you're going to tell a little story about me. Yes. I love it. When she was a little girl, I mean, I believe she fell into that category of smart, you know, excelling at everything that uh, happened in, I don't know what grade this was in. I think it was first grade. First grade. Okay. So she's in first grade and she you know, star student doing all the things, you know, really, really well off from the first grade level of things in first grade. But there was another um, little boy or little girl. There, I can't remember. There was another student in the class that needed some, needed extra, some help extra help and yeah. got a paraprofessional to sit next to them during class and to help them with schoolwork. And um, so all of a sudden, Cat's uh, mom gets a, and dad get a phone call that's Hey, um, is anything happening at home or is everything all right? Because, you know, Katie, which she was referred to at the time, has really started to struggle with all of her schoolwork. Well, that was a shocker to mom and dad, you know, because Katie's been really good with everything. And that's a pretty abrupt change on things were good and bad. And she just, you know, probably wasn't being challenged as much as she could have potentially and went, that looks like it would be more fun to have a friend sit and help me with my schoolwork. And, and how do I get a friend well, to I sit have, next to me? I have to look like I need additional help. So I stopped doing my schoolwork and 
um, or doing well in my schoolwork and then I'll get more help and I'll have a friend that sits with me. So that's just an example of a, a, an intelligent mind that had the opportunity to see around the general consensus of what was supposed to be done and look for another alternative that ends up being some form of cry for attention or, or, or more or less acting out in a way. So the same thing can happen with these dogs. Your puppy is ready for more, ready for something, and challenging them is what's going to help them to continue to progress. Hopefully we get another question later on that I can reveal a story about Ethan. So next question from Banjo underscore GWP, German wire hair pointer. From Instagram, does the DT Systems 1400 add-on collar work with the DT 1450? I am trying to figure out what setup I need to start WO training in the future. That is a great question. And the answer is currently, yes. The, all of the 1400 series collars can interchangeably sync. You will lose some of the features, um, but the similar buttons on the transmitters do the similar things. So on your 1400, you have a nick and a continuous button and a vibrate button. All three of those functions will work on the 1450 as well. So if you sync a 1400 collar to a 1450 transmitter, you'll get nick and continuous and vibrate. Now, what you don't get, which is the beeper button on your 1400 series, that beeper button is actually the jump function. So you won't get jump anymore when you hit the same button on the 1450 transmitter. That is programmed to send a signal to a beeper. So that portion won't work, but currently, yes, you can sync a 1400 to a 1450 collar. And that's often a combo that we recommend for people looking that are just starting out, looking at what collar should I get? Because it's a really good option. Bang for your buck. You get one transmitter, you get the 1400 collar that can be used around the house and in an earlier stage, because it gets smaller your young puppy because that beeper on the 1450 yeah. collar it's not movable it's fixed it's welded into a specific point on the collar and yep. it can't get any smaller than a certain size and for young puppies in that 12 to 16 weeks when we start you know recommending that you can start collar conditioning that beeper collar isn't probably going to fit them yeah and then even when it does down the road you still got the opportunity to not use the beeper collar at home where you may accidentally hit that beeper and blow everybody's eardrums out in the house because in that confined environment it's pretty loud so as well yes. as people like the aesthetics look of having not the having nice smooth collar without the big beeper mm -hmm. hanging around the house now i um being in touch with the guys there at dt systems they said that won't always work uh, when they get new batches of um, parts and stuff like that. Sometimes there's the potential to lose that backward com cross compatibility. Um, but he, I, I made a mention to him that it was pretty important for some people to be able to do that. So he said, they'll try. And one thing to keep in mind is to turn on your 1400 collar. There's actually a little spot on the side that you use a magnet to turn it on. And the transmitter on a 1400 has a spot on the transmitter that has a magnet. So you just need a small little magnet to turn your collar on and off mm -hmm. uh, so that you can use them together. Those magnets used to be in the 1450 transmitters as they, they transferred the base across because it's the exact same piece. Um, but then in a newer batch, they actually removed the magnet from the 1450s and I asked for them to put it back in. So when that changeover will happen, I don't know um, how many thousands or tens of thousands of units they created. But um, he said that they will be planning on putting the magnet back in as far as I 
recollect. So Yes. But that system would work really well for you to be able to have a dual system for woe training as well. Yep. One transmitter, two callers. Yes. So great question. Next question from Brittany Stamp. Brittany Stamp, if I could read. Maybe Ethan should read these. Just kidding. (laughs) Do you two train all the dogs by yourselves? If not, how many trainers do you have? This was from Instagram. That is an awesome question. Um, The answer is no, we do not train all of the dogs by ourselves. We have a very, 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 very good team of help right now. And we've worked with them over the course of years to develop the ability to read dogs and train with the same ideals and philosophy as we do. And uh, we have a couple people that help with obedience only. And then we also have um, another trainer that does a lot of the field work as well. Yep. So our team, I think, is a big, big, big part of the ability that we have to turn out such an awesome finished dog or a finished product, if you will, at the end of the training program, because they get the opportunity to listen and handle for multiple people, which we talk a lot about generalizing training. And that involves taking a training session, you know, that you typically are doing here in the yard, this controlled environment, and then taking them out to the field or taking them to a new environment where they have to work through new distractions and new areas. And the same type of thing can happen when you just switch handlers. Dogs build a ton of respect uh, around an individual person and being able to say, okay, you do well here, now go to a new handler and learn it again makes it that much easier to transfer that back to owners when the dogs go home. 100%. As well as we're doing all these videos. We've got a lot going on. There is no way that we can do all of that. There's not enough hours in the day and train every single dog every single day that yeah. walks through the without, door. Without our team, we definitely would not be able to provide this stuff for y'all. For sure. Okay. From uh, Nima K5 on Instagram. My seven-month-old wire hair pointing Griffon isn't motivated by bumpers for retrieving even after I've done the full trained retrieve. Is it okay to give treats for retrieves? It seems that works much better and makes him run to the bumper rather than prance over to it. How old was the Griffon? Seven month old. Seven month old. So if you've gone through the entire trained retrieve process, which is something that we typically don't recommend doing until the dog's actually closer to a year old for mental maturity and the ability to handle that level of training, it usually, if you go through a lot of those steps with a younger dog, you're not truly conditioning the trained retrieve process. Uh, I did it with our puppy Nix back in the day and went through all the steps. That dog loved to retrieve. So I was basically just conditioning some of the finer points of a hold and, you know, coming back with it and things like that and going and picking something up on cue. But I didn't actually get to the point where I was proofing that process at that young of an age because he was only six months old. And then as he got older and we had to push a little bit in some of the more advanced training and testing things that we were doing, I was able to see a few holes that popped up and I had to go back and revisit my trained retrieve once he was older. So if you've gone through the entire process with your seven month old, you probably did a very basic conditioning process and it isn't truly a fully proofed trained retrieve and would need to be revisited. But again, you're going to want to wait until they're a little bit older than just seven months old to do that. However, if you're getting a good response with treats and building that excitement and drive to go out and make those retrieves for you, that's not a bad thing either. Ethan and Lily like to say, you know, if it's working for you and you're getting the desired results, then it's not wrong. 
we usually don't incorporate treats when we're doing retrieving drills because that puppy can a lot of times anticipate getting that food reward when they come back to us. So they're immediately trying to get that bumper out of their mouth so they can put a treat in their mouth. And that's not something that we want to condition. We want to condition a nice natural hold. So we don't usually do it with treats, but if it's working for you, like I said, that doesn't mean it's wrong. Now, a couple things to add to this, and please, all of you Griff lovers out there, um, hear the words that I'm saying. Don't take offense to this. Um, you have a Griff, which means that you need to probably pump the brakes just a little bit because most of them are slower to mature. This is not saying that they lack ability or desire or any of the other categories. They're just typically a little slower to come around. So it may just be that you're excited about having your new puppy, but I mean, for the average grip that I've worked with, I would not consider formal retrieving work of any kind necessary part of the process at that young of an age. Now, there are exceptions to every rule, but definitely, um, I would assume that just kind of keep it on that path of developing good behaviors. And if you're seeing results with treat training, even if that involves some dropping, that's better than not seeing desire to retrieve at all. So, And just don't overdo it with a young puppy that yes. age. Retrieving, you know, if they get bored with it, well, then it's not a fun process anymore and you're not going to continue to make progress. Too so. much of anything can be bad. And um, I would say that in general, with a little griff, you probably just need to take a deep breath and, and slow your process down just a smidge. Yeah. Great question. Next question from Jared Jackson, 13 on Instagram. I have a 10 month old female GSP that is pretty much fully crate trained, I would say, but there's sometimes when she doesn't feel like being in there, she will start chewing and ripping up her blanket we have in there for her. What would you recommend doing to get her to stop that? I know she doesn't necessarily need it in there, but was curious if you had any ideas of how to stop that other than just taking it out. Thank you guys. Love the videos. Take it out. Yeah, that's kind of it. Um, it comes, it's all stemmed from boredom or trying to entertain herself when she has a young dog. Now, when she gets older, you'll probably be able to re-put bedding back in depending on if a really strong behavior is developed to just destroy everything in the crate um, or not. But for the most part, yeah, just take it out. And the other thing that I caution you about when a dog starts ripping up and chewing up bedding and things like that is there's the potential that they can ingest some of that bedding and you won't maybe necessarily know that they got anything in there. If it's a fluffy bed, they eat some of that stuffing or they shred a towel into a thousand little pieces. Well, how much of it did they eat? Do you need to like lay it all out and make a puzzle and go, oh, we're missing a huge piece uh, because that can cause a ball obstruction and can be very dangerous for your dog. So if they're truly chewing things up and ripping things up, it might just be better and safer for them to not have something in their crate at all. Yeah, we actually dealt with this firsthand and it was kind of one of the last times that we truly utilized or attempted bedding. to utilize bedding. Um, in a crate, yeah. Yeah, and granted, when we go, when I go guiding, uh, we're in the box and there's a lot of bouncing around and it's usually a little cooler. So I have bedding in there, excuse me, like big dog beds in there for them to lay on. Um, some people use hay or straw, but it always makes a giant mess for me. So, um, these dog beds though are again, mature adult dogs that have just hunted and they're worn and out. They're not so bored. they're not bored and they leave them alone. But if they get a few days off, even then that's, that's when it's like, ah, I should have pulled the dog beds cause somebody chewed one up or something. But long story short, we used wet mutt mats. It's kind of like a denser, 
foam, rubber foam Closed type of material. cell, so it's not supposed to absorb anything yeah. for odors and bacteria. And we got those. I thought, hey, I'll give this it a try. This is going to be great. Yeah. The dogs will have something cushiony to lay on in their crate. They're not supposed to be able to chew these up. Perfect. Yeah, first uh, first week we had a dog chew up a chunk, swallow too big a piece, end up with a bowel obstruction, and he had to have a pretty good portion of his bowel resected during that process. So, But he fully recovered, which was lucky, but that could have definitely gone the other direction. Yeah, so pull the bedding if there's chewing happening. If your dog doesn't chew up bedding, leave the bedding. It's not a big deal. So, One more question for this part? Uh, yeah. Okay. From Clayton Point. Dexter. Oh, Clayton Poindexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clayton's asked him questions okay. before, I think. From Instagram, we are looking into doing obedience training with a local trainer who wants us to teach sit. 16-week GSP without any field bird work yet. Want to make sure it won't cause issues with woe. What are your thoughts? It's a great question and a huge misconception in the bird dog world. I think that um, all of that will, will stem... I want to start with the, the misconception portion and what it probably all stems from. Um, one of which is that when the average old timey bird dog guy started teaching woe to dogs that hadn't already known how to sit, I think that the average person's teaching methods lack something. The average bird dog guys lack something to be desired. You know, there's more of a... It's a more of a forcing and breaking mentality instead of a yes. teaching and conditioning process. And when you have a dog that gets put in that situation, they start to feel some uncertainty, especially in that crossover period from I know nothing about woe to now I know woe. They get there with most dogs. They get there. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty in that middle area of am I doing it right? I'm not really sure what's going on here. What Why is, is truly he... being asked yeah. of me? What am I supposed to be doing? I don't even know. So and they revert to a default yes. of what they are familiar and comfortable with and that they've exhibited in the past and potentially been rewarded for. Especially in that uncertainty. They're like, I, I don't know, but I know that this worked before. Sit down, let's try it. And no, that wasn't right. And then sometimes that you know, earns another correction. Like I told you not to sit down or whatever. And then that, you know, kind of compounds that uncertainty that problem. Confusion, yes. So that being said, moving forward, anything that's overdone is a problem. Anything that becomes a default is the word cat used and what we often use. So if you're seeing this behavior automatically without question or without request, without even asking for the behavior, that becomes a default. Now, if sitting becomes a default, some people go, oh, that's so good. They're behaving so well. Yes and no. They're, they're, they're starting to do this as an automatic response to nothing. Everything. Yep. And everything and nothing at the same right. time. So no stimulus and every situation, which then when you move into woe training or you move into birds or you move into anything else, they feel like sitting is the answer to get the next reward. So watching your training and seeing if you start to see defaults in any behavior, it's not going to be good because they're going to try and revert to those things if there's ever a question in what you're teaching later in life. And then lastly, we teach all of our dogs to sit. So teaching sit is fine. Just make sure that they have a strong understanding of each. And when you start working on your woe training um, to do it via the way that we do, uh, which is teaching using that positive pigeon drill. I know some people struggle to get birds or struggle to get pigeons, but it's still one of those things that it's, uh, if you can get a hold of them, it doesn't take very many for them to, to start to build that uh, understanding using positive reinforcement. 
and then um, switching over to the method that we use with a belly collar and a two collar system for woe training. That makes a huge difference in being able to help through that process. And just a couple things that I also wanted to add into the sitting behavior, being confused with the woe behavior is a lot of times people accidentally reinforce sitting. That's great. That's a huge part. Yeah. And then you're just reinforcing the behavior that you truly didn't want to happen. So you ask for woe, your puppy sits and you're like, eh, good enough. Here's a treat anyway. Well, you're not jumping on me. So good enough. But you've actually asked for woe instead of sit or the same can be reversed sit instead of woe. Uh, So just make sure you're rewarding and reinforcing what you actually asked for. Yeah. And we see it when people come in with their dogs, they've got them on a leash and the dog's kind of excited or bouncing around a little bit. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then the dog just finally gets to the point and sits down and like, okay, good dog. You stopped moving. That was what I wanted you to do. But I'm using words and cues incorrectly incorrectly with incorrect or confusing expectations or you know, it, it's just confusing. So we typically try and keep, finally, we try and keep woe work for the field, not woeing them all around the house and the yard and everything else. Keep woe work for that and sit work for around the house. And it, it draws a pretty hard line of we woe in the field, we sit around the house and yard. And if you kind of maintain that consistency, it helps a lot too. And then finally, the last thing that I want to add to this is we typically also don't call or condition our sit behaviors, especially with young dogs until we've had a very successful collar condition to woe behavior. True. Because again, there can be sometimes that confusion of, I feel the pressure and the same pressures on their neck for both woe and sit. And there can sometimes be that confusion. Whereas, you know, we use the same collar pressure for place training or recall work, but we're giving them different body language and cues as well that they can key off of. You know, we're Mm -hmm. walking towards a dog bed and saying kennel, or we're getting down in an inviting position or giving them a target for the recall. Well, sometimes with sit and woe, you're just standing there and asking them for that behavior. And then they're like, they're standing here. That's when I sit or, oh, they're standing there. That's when I woe. And if you don't try and collar condition both, especially at the same time, I think that your confusion level will be much less. Well, guys, one more quick question turned into, and one more thing, and one more thing, and one more thing, which is what we try and do. We just try and get as much information as we can out to all of y'all that are watching and and participating in this, and we appreciate you. Um, That is all we have for this first part. We will be back here shortly for uh, more You Ask, We Answer with Ethan and Kat. Kat and Ethan. Kat and Ethan, the assistant. Thanks for watching, guys. These headphones aren't necessarily a fashion statement in the making, so. Yeah, they're fashionable. I mean, yeah, if what you've do got you want? short hair and you're wearing a hat. See if I could get me a pink set or something like that. You should. We should look at some, or at least you kept leaning that way. So I want to tilt your mic just a little, because people want to hear what you have to say, babe. Okay. Hi guys, welcome back to part two of this week's Yawa. We are going to get started right away because there were so many great questions this week. We got to a lot in part one, so make sure you check that out. 
and we don't want to waste any time not answering your questions. This is your first time to the channel. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in and definitely hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out a lot. And thank you for asking all these great questions. First one. Well, let's go. First one. Marie- anybody, I, I got to throw this in there. I mean, we get a, a bonus prize for anybody that truly knows where that reference comes from. I use it fairly regularly because I think it's hilarious. <laughs> it is hilarious. Let's go. If anybody can put in the comments below where that comes from, uh, we got to do something. We'll give a hat away or something. Yeah, why not? First person that throws it in the comments, we will send one of the new hats. And speaking of new hats. Ooh, spoiler have, alert. Yeah, all y'all that watch this stuff, you get all of the insider dibs. Um, we've got uh, three new hat designs coming out. Four? Four. Four new hat designs, including a specific women's Ladies hat. Ladies hat. Woo-woo. So for, that I can look stylish wearing these clunky headphones. And have a high ponytail for on those days you feel just a little more sassy. That's that was right. how they explained it to me, that they needed the ponytail hats. I'm like, okay. It was a good selling point. Yeah. I convinced them. Yeah. So, new hats coming out. We will give you a hat of your choice for the first person that comments where Let's Go references from. Okay. Now so, questions. Now questions. we're getting to questions. questions. From Marie Bascom on Facebook. Tips for young pups and traveling in cars. How often do you stop and how do you let them go potty safely before fully vaccinated? Ah, it's a good one. And it's a very important one to think about because it's a huge problem. And uh, we have seen, and probably a couple of the listeners uh, that tune in here every once in a while have seen this firsthand, unfortunately, and um, actually picked up Parvo while traveling on the road with their dog to their house. So yes. it's um, it's definitely a problem. Things are everywhere. The key to that is going someplace where, where Less, no man has gone before. Where you don't see a lot of dog sign. So don't pull over on the side of the road and go, oh, there's a lot of dog poop around here. And there's Not a good some, place to Yeah, go. there's some limitations with that where if it specifically says no dogs, obviously you can't do that. But um, typically for us, I'm stopping on the side of the road. Um, or, you know, because we typically are traveling in a more rural environment most of the time. So you can pull down a quarter mile down a gravel road and you'll Find park an on the approach or whatever and let dogs out to pee in the ditch, basically. But it's a low traveled um, area that's a lot safer uh, for everything involved. So, And we usually are using some kind of a an extension lead or whatever to still have a hold of our puppy, especially if we're anywhere that sure, there's a yeah. little more going on. On leash. Um, so that they're on leash for their safety. But also, if you can make sure your puppy has an opportunity to pee and poop prior to loading them up in the car and getting on the road, I would say on average, if they haven't recently tanked up on water or ate a huge meal and we get a pee and poop prior to loading them up and they fall asleep, I can make it a good four hours. Yeah. I was going to say three to five, depending on the age of the puppy and, and dog and yeah. everything else. So. so it's not like you have to stop every 30 minutes to give them a potty break. So usually it ends up being potty and about as often as you stop for fuel. So yeah. depends how big your gas tank is. Next question from Janine Smith on Facebook. Oh, she's Ooh. getting she's getting ballsy here. Uh-oh. If I can, I'd like to ask two questions. Two questions. One question for you. And then I'll answer one. So Ethan will get one, I'll get one. <laughs> we, we'll make it work. I got you, girl. 
What is your thoughts on where she should sleep overnight? We have a one-year-old GSP, roughly 65 pounds. I feel bad putting her in the kennel overnight because Monday through Friday, she's in there a good portion of the day while we're at work. I'm trying to train her to sleep on her dog bed in our bedroom at night, but she tries to sneak up on our bed any chance she gets. So it often is a battle of wills on where she ends up. So my questions are, where do you recommend a dog sleep at night? And what size kennel would be appropriate for a dog her size? Said 65 pounds? Yep. Okay. Hmm, which question do you want? I'll answer the first part. Got so it. typically we don't start letting our dogs sleep out overnight until they're around a year. So check. That's where you're at. Yeah. Um, all of our dogs are also collar conditioned to stay on a dog bed. We've really worked on place training prior to this process happening. So the expectation is that they go lay on and stay on their dog bed. You were mentioning a battle of wills, and believe me, that can still happen. Questy pup snuggled up over there, you probably can't see her, is really bad about trying to get in bed with us. Yeah. And Nix, her grandpa, is actually a super sneaker. He will sneak over to my side of the bed and jump up in the middle of the night. And I don't even wake up sometimes. And I'm a, and I'm a super light sleeper. There you go. Sorry, I got too far away. You're fine. I'm just um, helping. So it can definitely be a battle of wills. The thing is to be consistent. So if you tell the dog no... You need to be on the dog bed. That's where they need to stay. And if mm-hmm. they sneak up into bed, you need to, you know, go back on your dog bed, get up out of bed, take them over to their bed and say, this is where you need to be. This is where you need to stay. If you give in and you're like, oh, I'm just tired. It's fine. It's fine tonight. Well, that's going to become the habit. That's going to be the routine. And your dog is going to think, well, if I just try one more time, mom will eventually give up and I'm going to get to sleep in bed. So be the more powerful will of that equation and say, if you are in the bedroom, you are on the dog bed. If you are okay with the dog sleeping in bed, which for sure there's times where I'm like, Hey, I want to sleep with one of the dogs tonight or Ethan's gone. So I'm like, Hey, I want to sleep with all four of the dogs that are in the bedroom tonight. Um, I just make that decision and I make it clear and I invite them into bed. Now, if they invite themselves into bed, I'm like, no, get on your bed. Even if it was my plan for them to sleep in bed with me overnight. I make sure that they're on their dog. It's a very subtle. It's a subtle dominance behavior that we're trying to exhibit with the dogs and saying, you're only allowed when I invite you. So you get on the bed, stay there for another few minutes. Then I'm going to invite you into the bed. So have a strong will. Well played. Well played. As far as, um, kind of segueing into the crate aspect of things. This also is just a little more. We do this a lot. The additional step to this that Kat didn't mention is even our dogs that get the opportunity to sleep in bed sometimes are on their dog beds or sometimes um, they all are expected to also understand that sleeping in a crate is part of life. So we do some nights in the crate, some nights on the dog bed, some nights in the bed. All of those things are fine and all of those things learn. Now, granted, uh, some of them is there's some pushback sometimes where it's like, hey, I've been out the last like Quest the other night. Yeah, Quest the other night. So usually our dogs are really quiet and really well behaved. And we wake up to whining, yipping, barking mid, you know, it's like an hour after we've laid down to go to bed or so. And um, she's barking. She says, I want up because she'd been up the last three, four nights. She's super easy. She's very well behaved. And she almost forget that she's there. But she falls into that age category where she's on the younger end of the spectrum of some of the dogs that we have. And She's it's actually saying, her birthday in like a week. Oh yeah, she she and I are birthday twins. We'll um, recreate the Instagram picture from my last birthday. You mean she's, her 
first birthday or yeah. something. One of those. I don't know. I don't know. I've, we've got a fun picture of her like like a sh- I'm a shepherd and she's my lamb up over my shoulders. And she's drastically bigger than the last time I did that. So it'll look kind of funny. But we will probably recreate that as a birthday post. I the a um, good idea. But she's so well behaved. So it's very easy to incorporate her into all of those life things. But every once in a while, we have to say, hey, it's somebody else's turn. Somebody else's turn. And she had a, gave a little pushback for that. And um, in that specific situation, we didn't give in. She um, she got to wear a bark collar for a little bit. And that was enough to say, hey, barking's not okay. It's not going to get you what you want. Yep. So sleep in the crate for a couple nights and then you're even more excited and happy to get the bedroom opportunity. Yes. Now, the next thing is, is crate size. Um, to be completely honest, dogs enjoy smaller spaces than they do larger spaces with the caveat saying they need enough space still, but um, I wouldn't expect, you know, don't think that you need to get an extra, extra large crate so the dog has the ability to completely sprawl out and not touch any sides of the crate. Um but with a 65-pound dog, I would say, on average, a large size crate's going to be close um, close enough to what you need. So, Good question. Really good question. Both of them were really good questions that you snuck in there. I like that. Sneaky. Mike Dyer from Facebook. I just found your page and YouTube yesterday. Awesome. Awesome. I have a four-and-a-half-month-old GSP who is a family-first dog, but we're hoping to turn into a bird dog. Also awesome. I've checked out a few videos and they are great. I'd like to sign up and follow your program on Patreon. Oh, really cool. So for those of you that are watching that don't know what he's talking about, that is patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. Now, so that there is no confusion in this because we do get the question pretty regularly. uh, What is Patreon? What do I get? So on and so forth. And Patreon is a... um, in addition to the free video content. So please understand this. On YouTube, all of our videos, all of our training videos, all of our content is free. You do not need to pay for any of that. And our goal would be to keep it that way forever. We will continue to put out content for free. What Patreon is, in addition to that, is our ability to give you um, our most powerful tool, which is our ability to read dogs and training situations. So you sign up on Patreon, you're following along with the free content, and then you video your training sessions or have someone video them for you, upload them to YouTube, share us the link, and we can actually watch and say, that looks perfect, or you made this small mistake here, and that goes hand in hand with the video. So the only thing that you are getting when you sign up for Patreon is a direct link, basically, to our ability to answer your questions and or watch and review your training sessions. So again, that's patreon.com slash standingstonekennels. And there's different levels of subscription, if you will, from just supporting us and making this great content for you guys. People yeah, if you just like watching the videos, some people say, what can we do? Yeah, because they're like, hey, we know this takes time. We know that the equipment is expensive. Here, we want to help you out because we want you to keep making stuff. Then there's other levels where people just want to ask questions and they'll type up a question kind of like this, except they're guaranteed to get their question answered when they ask it uh, because there's only a limited number that we can get to every week with Yawa, of course. And then there's the level that Ethan was talking about with the video exchange where we're able to watch a training session. And then we even have a top tier that allows you to set up 
phone consults with us. So you're again, then paying for it's a subscription service, but you're paying for our time over the phone one-on-one if that's what uh, works best for you. So guys, definitely check that out. And if there's a tier that fits your needs, uh, we appreciate you signing up. And I do want to give a quick shout out to Patreon members. They, um, all of the money that goes to us via Patreon goes directly back into um, creating this content that everybody gets utilized for free. So the Patreon money um, just bought a new lens for the camera, which that camera, that lens is all of that photography that we put out and all of the pictures um, start to come And allowing that. us to get some better video coverage of stuff. Like yeah, one of we them. Act- okay. Go ahead. Oh, he's going to let me tell oh, about go it. Go ahead. So Sprig, everybody loves Spriggy, and we just took him back and his homecoming video, we were able to shoot with the new lens that we got. And it was a really awesome video that incorporated both Sprig and him doing some last little training drills with Ethan and his breeder there at Riverstone Kennels, as well as his daddy Brock was able to showcase some of his skills, which was really cool to see. So we got some cool drone footage, which was also something we were able to yeah, get through the, the drone Patreon we bought. A while ago. Yep. Uh, quite a while ago. But so again, a big thank you. And so that people understand what happens, all of that money we set aside is 100% dedicated to um, creating more content and doing a better job for you guys. So that was a long way to get around to ask, answering Mike's question of, while the videos are very helpful, I'd like to know if there is a recommended order or plan to follow and is it age specific? Thanks. So... Like, you always make me do the links thing so I can throw this one in because I'm... I always forget how to say the links, right? Yep. So um, as far as the the plan and the specific thing, we've got two parts to this. One part, I'm going to give you the short answer. Part two, um, Kat's going to give you the, the long answer because this is something as a project that we're really, really excited and excited about and she's heading up right now. So um, first of all, short answer, standingstonekennels.com slash links. Throw it up on the screen. Now, um, if you follow that, it's going to give you, <laughs> um, click the button, it'll say each individual dog series, and that's a playlist. Those items are in order. Now, if you watch the order, you will see that we taught different dogs different things in different orders because that was the order they needed to learn them in. Um, with that being said, try and find the dog that best fits your dog's personality and then kind of stick with that. Those are the order and the first time we did those sessions so that you can see live how that worked. And how we had to sometimes live. work through an issue if it arose in yep. the training session. And then the second part uh, is... Is there a recommended cat. plan to follow? Not currently. It's been something that's been requested over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yes. And as you guys know, when you request something, we typically try and get around to doing it, uh, making time for that, whether it's a new video that somebody wants to see, a question that gets asked a lot that we need to answer, or a training plan that everyone wants to follow. So with that, I am in the process of writing basically a eight-week-old to year-old lesson plan. So it's the first year of your dog's life and all of the steps and all of the order that we recommend going in from eight weeks to a year. And that is a huge undertaking. It's taking me a very huge. long time to write. I would say each lesson. It's not just a little bullet point step no, by step. It each is lesson plan, lesson plans. each lesson plan. And I think I've got 28 or 30 lesson plans um, to get you through that first year. Each one is taking me approximately three hours to write. So 
it's going to be a little bit before it's out because I have to find that time to write them. But I think that it's going to be a really awesome tool and people are going to really enjoy it. And that will be available um, eventually when this it's finished to our Patreon members, as well as it will be available to other people on our online store once it's finished. Um, the only cautionary thing that I want to mention with that is people always push for an age to do this at, an age to do this at. Well, if you follow this plan step-by-step, um, from eight weeks on, that's great. But if you have a four-month-old dog or, or a six-month-old dog or, or a year-old year dog. dog and yep. you're like, well, where do I start? Well, obviously, I'm recommending doing this lesson at 16 weeks old. Well, you can still start in the same order and take approximately the same amount of time. And it also depends on how much time you have to invest into your training sessions and your dog. So you just have to follow the order dependent on what age your dog is when you start this program and how long it takes you to get through each step is going to vary that age a little bit. So those things are coming. Unfortunately, they're not ready today, but we are working on them. And like all we do, we want it to be good. So we're not half-assing it. Yeah, not just throwing something together and be like, eh, good enough. Good stuff takes time. So be patient with us and we'll have that out to you as soon as we can. Great. Next question is from Mary Jordan Roy on Facebook. My 12-week GSP is very slow eater. Will eat maybe a half a cup on his 20-minute window. He has walked in the morning and has puppy playtime. I don't want him to be hungry during the day when we go back to work. What can I do to make sure he eats enough to hold him over the course of the day? So your puppy's 12 weeks old and they're getting playtime and walking time and things like that. That's great. I would say your puppy is just a little less food motivated than we'd like to see at 12 weeks. And that maybe is because he's given a free meal that he can pick at for 20 minutes. So we actually teach our dogs to eat. A little bit of tough love is going to go a long way in this specific situation to developing a better all-around dog for the future. That's willing to work as well as... uh, Understands the importance of working. And as well as eats when you need them to eat. So what we say, what we mean by that is. It's an extremely overlooked thing. Yes. And because everyone wants to be their dog's best friend and they just want to love them and cuddle them and coddle them. And that isn't going to be setting them up for success. Just like with our son. I mean, I love him to bits and pieces and he is so sweet most of the time. There are times that he's not though. And if I just try and coddle him and cuddle him through that, I'm just going to create this child that grows up to be an adult that is not a good part of society. So he gets a little tough love. If he's throwing a temper tantrum for no good reason, he's not going to get coddled through that. So um, the same thing can apply to dogs. You have to have a little bit of tough love to make sure that you're developing the dog that you truly want to be a part of your family for the rest of their lives. So So our recommendation with food would be Making utilize, them work for their meals. Yep. Utilize that meal for a training session. We talk about that all the time, especially at this stage in the game. You'll do as many reps as you can keep their focus for. Now, to begin with, especially if you have a little bit pickier eater, that may be one rep or it may be zero reps even. They go, meh, if I have to work for this, I don't care. Um, so what, this is where the tough love part comes in. Take a deep breath. Skip that meal. You get the opportunity to eat. eat, They say, not interested. Then you hold it for the evening. Now, that meal has disappeared. So the evening, you're only getting that half of a portion again. Half of a daily portion. Half of a day portion. So if he's excited to work for that, great. Keep on that path. When he loses focus. Take it away. The rest of the meal is gone. And that is going to develop a dog that understands, hey, 
I need to eat what they provide and I need to stay focused and pay attention when that food is presented in front of me because, you know, otherwise I'm going to be hungry during the day and that's going to build drive and desire to work, which is super important for a young hunting dog. Yes. I think Great we, question. Yes. I think we have time for one last very quick question and I mean it. It's very quick. Got it. Michael D. Paulitz from Facebook. I see the orange speckled Ruffland kennels on the Facebook story all the time. And I'm really curious about what size they are, intermediate or large. So the orange ones that you see in our story all the time are the intermediate size. If you see some of the tan ones in the kennel, those are the larges. And then in our um, our personal dog area in the house, we also have orange speckled ones, but those are larges. So um, we have a combination of sizes. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, when we move into our new kennel, we're hoping to upgrade all of our kennel sizes to the larges for the most part. I don't think we'll completely get rid of intermediates because there is a place for an intermediate sized crate. Sometimes we'll have smaller dogs, a little English cocker size that the small crates are a better size for them, as well as if we're really struggling to help potty train one of the dogs in the kennel to help continue consistency and help them continue to be clean, a smaller space is actually better for that. So We won't completely get rid of intermediates because there is, like I said, a place for those as well as when we're raising and developing a puppy of our own, we kind of graduate through different sizes of crates, starting with a small one so that they have only a limited amount of space to curl up, stand up and sit down in. They don't have room to play in one end and pee and poop in the other end. And then once they outgrow that size, we move up to a size and then eventually their last size would be that large. So no, see, that works see, perfect. It was a quick question. It is a quick question. Now the next thing uh, that we really like, and you will see these on, available on our website, are Lucky Kennels. It's by Lucky Duck Decoy Company that created their own um, kennel, and they are one five star crash testing. They're one of two crates, I believe, and you can fact check me on this one. And they're one of two crates available. The other would be Gunner, um, but. The Lucky Kennels are absolutely fantastic. They have one size right now. I know that they're looking to upgrading to another size as well here. he I just talked to um, the owner, and he was talking about the potential of that happening soonish, like within the next year. So Now that they just got that crash test yes, and then figured out their new door system that allowed them to get that five-star rating, now they're ready to do more production in different sizes so that they can meet a different demand. Which is awesome. And the big thing that we hear from pushback on that is, wow, they're expensive or something to that effect, probably with a little more gusto. Wow, these are expensive. Um, But the thing about it is uh, save your pennies, put the things of art. It's a very inexpensive uh, insurance Insurance, policy and and, and protection, you know, for your pets, uh, who's a loved family member. And And it's a Really, when you look at- It's a lifetime crate. You're going to purchase one. Right. One crate. And you look at the price of that crate compared to the price of most puppies, it's still a very small fraction of the price of that puppy. So you look at one lifetime investment of a crate to have this one, hopefully lifetime investment of a dog, have a safe place to be when you're traveling um, and to keep them from having- and lifetime, not only for accident. the dog that you have, but your next dog. I mean, these things are built like tanks. They're going to last forever. Yeah. So, um, but take a look at those as far as a travel crate goes. Um, there are other brands out there that do a good job too, but there are very few that actually pass, you know, crash tests and Scenarios. hard crash tests. I mean, they, they struggled with the first attempt I know, and they made changes to be better and 
have now passed. So you've got a dog that's going to be safe in the Lucky Kennels. Definitely check those out. Standingstonekennels.com slash store. Perfect. Well, we... Guys, that's the end of part two. Yes, I'm going to cut her off. What he said. Every time. What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Thank you all for following along and watching this episode of Yawa. We'll be back shortly with part three. I'm the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Kat the dog trainer. We'll see you soon. And we're back with part three of this week's Yawa. I was doing the introduction and you just like interrupted it. That wasn't me. It was you. (laughs) So if you missed part one and part two, go back and watch those. We had some really great questions. Part one is pretty much all Instagram questions. Part two is pretty much all Facebook questions. Part three is going to be a combo of both. So getting started right away from, don't laugh at me. Your announcer voice, it's going to be, it sounded like I was watching one of those crappy infomercials at like midnight. That's enough out of you. And part three will be a combination of both. How many more steak knives are you going to throw in, baby? From Tom Ludi on Facebook. I've watched every video you guys have produced and am impressed by your knowledge of raising and training puppies to the adult dogs. Well, Tom, I am impressed by your commitment to watching all of our videos. That is a lot of watch minutes and- That's an insane amount of watch minutes. And I would say you probably got to see some of our first videos that were meh, and hopefully our content is improving. But getting onto your question- what, our content is improving. Yes. What is your background and how did you become so knowledgeable? Well, thank you for thinking that we are so knowledgeable. Um, I would say that the background is going to involve um, deep diving into the process. When we began, I knew absolutely nothing. And I mean by absolutely nothing, I mean absolutely nothing, which is why I want to point this out because some people apologize for their questions. Even we see, I'm sorry for a stupid question. There is no such thing as a stupid question. And a lot of times we read those questions and I'm like, that's definitely not a stupid question because that's exactly where we were at when we started this process. And where a lot of people are at. So those things come down to, and I'm going to name off just a couple quick ones would be one, um, picking a puppy solely based on color. That was a first decision that I made. Uh, Another one was- And, And out of the newspaper. For two hundred dollars, yeah. no pedigree, nothing. Yeah, I mean, it was just a it was just a puppy, right? And we preach on breeding programs and finding the right breeder and finding the right breed for you and what you're looking for. And I did none of those things. Now, granted, I had done a little bit of research, but uh, when it came down to the actual dog, no. And we knew that we wanted a short hair. That's about the extent of the research. We and that did. was based off of recommendations from a bird dog guy. He was actually an English pointer guy. So it's, it's one that you don't often hear that cross, um, crossover, except for the good guys. The good guys are going to tell you, yeah, even though I breed labs, a lab doesn't sound like what it's for you or a short hair doesn't sound like, you know, and I'll tell people, they say, I'm a 99% duck hunter. And I'm going to say, well, you need to get yourself a retriever. Even though our dogs are versatile and have the ability to do some of that, you 
You should be getting a dog that does the task that you're looking for. It's going to make everything easier in that whole process along the way. So all of that being said, um, I got a recommendation from a pointer guy. He said, hey, it sounds like what you explained to me that you're looking for out of a dog, a short hair is going to be perfect for you. So we started looking at that and like, wow, they're really pretty. That was a, that was it. Was, oh, they're so pretty. Um, and I got a dog that way. So the other side of it, then, uh, you know, I followed some, we, uh, there's wives tales. I often referred to, um, old bird dog tales, if you will, uh, bird dog guy tales. It's just random stuff that older guys that trained bird dogs back in the day did. And my grandpa specifically love him to old death. Old bird timey guy. Yeah. He had his way that he trained and developed dogs and, I took it a step further and I actually had, this is not something that he specifically requested, but I didn't know any better. Okay. Um, I took a white rag and I tied a string to it and I put pheasant scent on the white rag and I swung it around my head and I landed it on the ground, kind of like a combination of wing on a string slash scent recognition slash white rag. I have no idea. Okay. This was Because we didn't really understand that that process is just instilling sight pointing instinct into the situation. Yes. We didn't know the difference between sight pointing and scent pointing and why the dog did this. And it was just amazing. It was amazing. So I've got this thing swinging around. It lands on the ground. I get the dog to point it, sight pointing. And I'm telling it, you know, whoa, whoa. And I'm thinking that I'm, I'm teaching some good stuff here. And then... I took her on her first, this is crazy, Sam. I took her on her first pheasant hunt ever. And we killed a couple pheasants over. She pointed cow, chased a few butterflies. And we got back to the yard and we wanted to do some more work with her because we were excited and that was fun and it was so cool. So we took the dead pheasants and we planted them in the grass and we brought her downwind of them and we tried to get her to point them and we took pictures. And I actually still have one of the pictures today of her pointing a dead pheasant in the grass in her cat's parents' backyard. Yeah. That was this guy. So when you ask questions, don't think they're dumb questions because we've probably been there, done that, tried it. And hopefully asking those questions Got will the help. Got the t-shirt even. I mean. Will help you learn what to do, what not to do, why to do the things that you should do and not be this guy. Speaking of t-shirts, we have a couple new t-shirt designs that are going to be coming out. Those are going to be available on our. One of them's my design. One of them is Kat's design. Woohoo. And um, we're going to be pushing those out um, as a trial run to kind of get a feel for what sizes to order. Uh, that merch aspect of t-shirts is a scary it's tough to figure out like what size is going to be popular mm-hmm. so we don't the get left. first run of t-shirts, we still have like a whole box of smalls and that was not the greatest. So like if you want a, if you want a small standing stone kennels t-shirt, throw it in the comments below. Um, get in touch with us. Uh, it's an original vintage eight years in the past. Yes. But we only, I believe only have small. So have for you little people out there or somebody that wants to wear a t-shirt as a, or if you, you know, got a kid, yeah, a kid, they'd fit kids. Um, throw it in the comments below. We want to ship those out to you guys. Thanks for watching. Now on to the question, how, did we get to where we're at today? That involved deep diving into the process. Um, I worked at another facility as a poop scooper. Yes, all I did was scoop poop. And then I have this technology background and I helped video training sessions and video everything. And so I so watched. So it allowed you to watch and learn hours from and videos. Hours and hours of watching 
And that gave me the ability to then move into a assistant training position where uh, is a bigger facility. So we had a lot of dogs and a lot of volume and I ate it up. I mean, I well, put and in your assistant position was literally just running finished dogs and keeping the kennels dogs in good running shape. You yep. weren't teaching keep, anything. No you were teaching. just maintaining. Handle the finished dogs, run them, keep them in shape, keep them and happy. And don't mess it up. And don't mess it up. So um, after working through that, then I got the opportunity to move more into a uh, full-time training position once I had proven myself. And that also included um, going another, down. You got another puppy. Yeah, I got a puppy. To learn and try all the Actually, things Actually, two out. puppies. Yes. Yep. So the first I got, uh, Hank. Hank was a really cool dog. Yeah. This and is after Sammy. Yeah. Sammy, so Sammy was who we made all the mistakes with. And I spent all of my, like, okay, so I just watched this on a video and my day of scooping poop and videoing stuff is over. So now I'm going to spend my evening trying all of these things on my dog. And I made more mistakes and she, uh, suffered through them. She was a very them. forgiving dog. Yes. And she turned out despite us. Yes. So then um, got the opportunity to work for a few years there at the facility um, with an average of, oh, I would say that while I was there, respectively considering the fact that it was, I probably got a close to a thousand or 1200 dogs under my belt from a training standpoint. Before it was a much bigger there. facility with a much shorter training program turnaround. Yeah. So lots of dogs in and out all the time. And that exposure gives you the ability to either sink or swim. You're going to learn in that environment, or you're going to realize that you need to move on to something. Yeah. Different. You're going to realize that you have a knack for reading dogs and for teaching dogs and for having patience to work with dogs, or you're going to go, this is not for me. And toward the end of um, our stay there, Kat actually got the opportunity to move in and start as an assistant trainer. Because through this whole process, Sammy was our dog. Yeah. And the other dogs that came from the kennel that we got to work with and learn from were at our house. So I was very much exposed to that. I got to help, you know, whelp litters of puppies on our own time. Mm -hmm. And I was in love with it. And I just kept going, I want to do this. I want to do this. When is there going to be an opportunity for me to do this? And eventually one did come available because yep. it's a small business as well. There's only so many Spots. positions to go around. So uh, then, you know, we'd been in dogs for a few years and moved out to try it on our own. And, you know, actually we got an opportunity to move down closer to family. Um, and in that switch, we got an overwhelming number of people that's continued to want to work with us with bird dogs. And so we tried to do this on our own. And in that process, then, we took a slightly different approach, which involved and has continued to maintain to this day of doing uh, more with each individual dog. So rather than a two week to 30 day program, we try and stay to a two to four month program. So instead of the qu quantity of dogs being just out of control, where you really feel like you can't necessarily main that maintain that quality control through that many dogs over that short of a period of time. Mm -hmm. We were able to say, we are going to train fewer dogs for longer periods. And then at the end of that, you don't have a, a jack of all trades or a jack of kind of a few trades, master of nothing. Um, you end up with more along the lines of a master of everything idea, which in turn, everybody is happier with the dog goes home. It's easier to handle. Owners are happier with that. So we've taken that approach to it. And 
just continue to grow. And I will say now being in dogs for right at 10 years, um, professionally in dogs for right at 10 years, uh, the more I learn, the more I realize that there's still a lot more to learn. So we appreciate the fact that you um, value our knowledge and our goal and passion and desire is to not only hope, help individuals just like we were um, in the past, uh, but to be able to share the, the knowledge and information that we have gained over the years with everybody. So long story short, we were pretty much self-taught and passionate about learning. Absolutely. So, great question. Next question from Sandun Josh on Instagram. What is your favorite period of the training stages and puppy stages? So for me, this one is really easy. Um, I would say my favorite uh, time period in the puppy stages is when the puppy stages are over. <laughs> Ethan likes the fact that I enjoy working with the puppies. And Cat loves the puppies. I do. I love puppies. I love puppy development, but it's it's also very relaxing to move past that puppy into the finished because dog puppies stuff. puppies are a lot of work. There's no way around that. Puppies are a lot of work. So um, and that's I, me. I definitely like when we get a mature dog fully finished, if you will, whether they there's ever fully finished because you can keep challenging them, For sure. um, but that they're easy to handle, ready to calm down, enjoyable to hunt behind. And that is really enjoyable as well for me. But I do love that. Wow. That was the first time that dog ever pointed something. Holy cow. That was cool. Uh, oh my gosh. We just got this young dog who was about retrieving to be excited about naturally retrieving bumpers or naturally retrieving birds now. Or we took this puppy who wouldn't swim and over months of development and building them up and encouraging them and building that confidence, we now got this puppy to swim. So those moments for me are the things- are very that, rewarding. Very rewarding. And that's what keeps me wanting to continue is those moments where I feel like, wow, we just did something awesome with this dog that- learn something new and their owners are going to be so happy. And I'm so proud of this dog. And I'm so proud of what we were able to do to get this dog there. Those now, are those moments. Now, don't get me wrong. I kind of made a smart comment. Um, I do enjoy developing and training puppies. We do all of these series and that is really fun to be able to work the dog through and show step-by-step step how we've you know developed and molded this dog into the best dog that it can be. Um, and Having the opportunity to get to work with dogs from our program or other really quality bred dogs out there, um, it, it's fun. It, it really, really, really is fun. It's, um, uh, for example, the muddy hatch puppies that we just got in as a bunch of puppies uh, into our program for training and everything else. I mean, these dogs are, we talk about a two to four month program. Almost every single one of them is cruise through that average two to four month program in the first 30 days of being here. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're green on everything and need some more exposure, but they are doing it all. But they are doing it all. And you doing know, and it's it impressively like, and naturally. Uh, should we be ready? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're ready for this. You know, I mean, uh, before 30 days with every single one of those puppies that was in, they're running braces and having trained, birds shot having over birds them. killed over them. They're doing all of the things in a Water very, introductions. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're doing it all. And now we have the opportunity to take that dog to a whole new level because in that little bit of extra time that they're here, 
they're learning how to, you know, quote unquote, master those specific things. Those to behaviors be so are becoming so much more conditioned so yes. that they become the default. So it's not, oh, they did it this time for 30 days. Wow, that was cool. Well, now they did those same things for just 60 days or 90 days, and they're just that much more polished at that point. Yeah. So I definitely love it. Um, but it's, it's relaxing to work with uh, a fully finished dog. For so. sure. Next question from Instagram from Neebs16. How much is a fair price for purebred papered puppies and are they valued equally having different sex from the same litter? So I want to mention one thing because you said papered puppies and um, there are a lot of people that talk about and do breedings of different things and you know the paper itself doesn't make the dog um, but Typically, when you end up at a place that is a legitimate breeder, I mean, you're always getting papers with that. So it's. And yes. Yes. Okay. I was just going to say, and typically if you're not getting papers, there might be a reason for it. It was an oops litter that happened or the sire of the litter wasn't registered or vice versa. And so you can't register the puppies. That doesn't mean they will be bad dogs. It just means. That they can't be registered. Um, And for, for us for a breeding program that we are putting a lot of time and effort into developing and creating better bird dogs and continuing to improve the breed and planning our program in the sense that we're moving our breeding program in the direction that we want with dogs that we enjoy training and hunting behind and living with putting that much time, effort, and energy into it. Those puppies are going to be registered. Sure. hundred percent. So the next part of that question was, are they valued equally having different sexes from the same litter? Males and females? For us and our program, 100%, all of our puppies are priced the same from male to female and from litter to litter. Now, I'm going to uh, call out the other puppy breeders out there, and uh, I will assume we'll get a little hate pushback from this, but it's the truth. If you are charging more for a male versus a female or a female versus a male, it is only a BS sales tactic and it is not, um, you know, taking advantage of the fact that, taking advantage of the fact that somebody may think that about the the value of one of the dogs is different. Um, I know that some people struggle to sell males versus females or, or whatever, but if you are struggling that much to be selling your puppies, you probably don't need to be breeding them and making more dogs. So there is my evil comment of the day. All the I dogs. I wouldn't say are evil comment, just brutally honest. Brutally honest comment. We're going to add a new section. Ethan's brutally honest comment of the day. I'm that pretty sure there will be multiple segments. <laughs> but, but no, they, in, in our opinion, in our eyes, they are valued the same. And I would say, as breeders, and I talk to a lot of our puppy buyers, Ethan talks to a lot of our puppy buyers, it's a joint partnership. Correct me if I'm wrong, honey, but I would say it goes in spurts and cycles where it's like everybody wants a male puppy. hundred percent. Now next year, everybody wants a female puppy. And it is funny. Like I had a litter of all male puppies. Couldn't, not couldn't, but it was like all the people that had females were like, I will not take a male. I have to have a female. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll have to move you to a different litter, obviously. Yeah. And then it'll go in the reverse. Now I'm like, now I can't create a male puppy to save my life. We've got a whole bunch of females coming out. And everyone's like, oh, I really wanted a male puppy. Yes. Um, it, seem, it seems like whatever you have an abundance of, more people were interested in the other. Um, but, you know, it's, it's... It's just how Mother Nature goes. You can't yeah, You plan. have no control over it. Yeah. And as a puppy buyer, I will tell you, 
that the biggest difference between your male versus your female, it's not personality, it's not temperament, it's not ability to hunt or drive or desire or any of those things. Or being friendly or family oriented. None of them apply. Or that they get along with other dogs. None of them apply. None of them. The, The biggest difference between a male and a female dog are the males are going to be typically, not always, typically larger. The females are going to be typically smaller. All of your personality characteristics, ability, drive, desire, heart, all family orientedness-ism, let's add all kinds of things on any of that. Um, all of those things apply to the specific breeding. It's genetics, folks. It's genetics. So whatever your parents are of a litter is That's typically going to be what you're going to see out of puppies, male or female alike. And yeah. then you've also got reproductive systems would be sure. the other difference. Yep. The obviously. other difference is going to be the males have um, male parts and the females have female parts. So you've got heat cycles to potentially deal with if your female is kept intact. Correct. And then males are going to want to be testosterone driven to mark on things, not in the house. I mean, you raised a clean house trained puppy, so mm-hmm. it's not going to associate that in the house, but out and about, they'll be like, meh, going to pee on this tree or meh, going to pee on this tire. Yeah. Um, and females can learn that as well. It's less common, but all of the things being said, the two big differences are going to be size and then reproductive parts and the uh, the specific things that are associated with that. So if you need a dog to be bigger, like you're going to do a ton of goose hunting or something like that, big geese, and you want them to be able to retrieve that, um, a slightly bigger jaw and head and is going taller to taller dog. It's going to be able to support that. Where and carry that goose up from dragging on the ground if they're taller. Correct. Um, so. All of that being said, if you are looking for a dog, keep an open mind. Um, you know, work with your breeder, whether it be us or somebody else, and say, this is what I'm looking for, and and trust that they're going to be able to help you find that, whether it be a male or a female. And then the other part of that question that we kind of skipped over is, how much is a fair price? That's really going to depend, and there's going to be a range. Huge and range. we've definitely seen a increase in recent trends of what people are getting for puppies. Uh, I think that that is a, um, you know, a goal to truly put a value on what is happening. The guys that are out there doing it uh, right and putting a lot of time, effort, and energy are trying to separate themselves from all of the coattail uh, riders that are trying, oh, well, the price of these dogs are going up, so I'm going to tack that on mine because it'll look like. Because I'm going to ask the same price for my puppies. Yeah, and it's you're all, all I can say with this is you're typically going to be getting what you pay for, whether that be total experience, the quality of the dog, the relationship that you build with your breeder and the end game after that. If something goes wrong, if something doesn't go perfect, the people are, that are going to help stand behind and, and, you know, help make the with situation that, make right. That situation right. So, um, But like you were saying, though, there's the people that, I don't know if you want to call them, you know, coattail riders or just the people that are like, hey, I've got this one litter and I see what these people are asking for their puppies. Hobbyists. Hobbyists. I'm going to ask the same for my puppies. Um, For example, if you look at what we try and do with our breeding program and our puppies. You can actually watch that. Yes, you can watch that through our puppy litter development with the Muddy and Benny litter right now. It's going on. So check that playlist out. We're going to fill in the gaps with um, the next litter that's about to be born here in the next week. Um, Should have a much larger litter. So you'll get to see. This was kind of our uh, test phase of what do we need to include in this video series. And then we started getting more questions and going, oh, Uh we 
should have filmed that. So we're going to hopefully have worked out most of the kinks for litter number two. So you can see even more what we do with these litters. And the development process will look different with, let's say, 10 to 12 puppies versus four. Yes, definitely will look different. So you can watch along with exactly what we're doing with those puppies from day one to the day that they go home. And that can give you a really good idea of, wow, they're doing all of that with their puppies. That makes sense why they charge what they charge. Um, And if somebody else is charging a similar price, you can say, well, what do you do with your puppies? And if they can't necessarily validate their price. Well, mom takes care of them till she doesn't. And then we feed them. I like how you put a country twang on that because that's not always the case. Um, but you know, say, well, mom has the puppies in her dog house in the backyard and the kids go out and play with them. And, uh, we make sure that mom's got food and water and we make sure that the puppies, uh, you know, get their shots at six weeks and then they go home at six weeks. Don't do it. So ask, ask what's being done with the litter for as far as development and socialization and um, make sure that what the breeder is truly asking for seems to actually equate with why they're asking that price. Perfect. Great question. I don't think we have time for any more questions. No, we don't. Oh, and there were so many more good ones. You talk too much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do. I'm sorry that we couldn't get to more questions this week. There were so many good ones. Definitely, guys. If your questions didn't get answered, uh, we will be doing this again next week. And we have patreon.com slash Kennels where you can sign up there for subscription to get your questions answered daily. There are very few days that I don't get to those questions every single day. So definitely uh, check us out there. It's patreon.com slash Kennels, And that is all we have for this week on You Ask We answer. I'm the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Kat, the dog trainer. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.